back to the Northeast Newscast. On this week's episode, we're sitting down with social services specialist Kevin Wilson with the Kansas City Police Department's East Patrol Zone. Thanks for joining me, Kevin. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So how long have you been in this position? You're fairly new, right? I am. So I took over this position in October. Okay, cool. There over the holidays, you know, we're still dealing with COVID and everything. How's your first couple months been? Uh, It's been a bit of an adjustment period, but for the most part, I think I've acclimated pretty well to it. That's good. It's if you're familiar with the area, I'm sure it's a lot easier. Did you? Are you from Kansas City? Or are you? I'm from the Kansas side. Okay, so familiar but, enough, but yeah. still learning the ropes, learning all the yep, I never one way streets and everything. I, saying, I didn't tend to come out this east when I was growing up, but you know, sure, I'm sure. In so you replaced social services specialist Matt Gilmay, who was at East Patrol for about a year. Hmm. Some of these are the same questions I ask him, so I'm interested to hear that. Um, of course, we walked. Worked pretty closely with Trina Miller when she was over here in East Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, now she's off doing bigger and better things. So we're very proud of her. Very excited for the ways this position has grown since she was first here. Indeed. Explain a little bit about your background in social services. So I've been doing social work slash law enforcement type things since I graduated from college. Um After I graduated from college, I moved to Oklahoma City and worked down there with uh, fender populations and all that. So I worked with a particularly interesting old man in Anadarko, Oklahoma, which is kind of like the armpit of Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a convicted murderer. I think he did... 35 or 40 years in prison, something like that. Very institutionalized. Wow. Um, just when, when he was literally the definition of institutionalization. And it was just very interesting to just work with him and pick his brain sometimes, just the way he thought about things and all that. Because when he went in, you know, obviously he was, he's fairly young and just coming out as an old man, just lost in society. It was just very interesting. And he was in the grips of the town gangsters, which also made things a little difficult for my team and I to really reach and, you know, provide him with good treatment. But working with him, you know, of course, helped get my first foray into social work and different things like that. And then I found a better job back up here. So that's what brought me back to Kansas City. And then I was working over in KCK for a community mental health center over there. And just working closely with law enforcement and SROs over there just started getting me to start, hmm, what what, what can I do? And they started actually kind of pushing me towards law enforcement myself. So working in social service, you know, in a couple of different cities with both old and I'm sure young people when you were with the social service center, what's the key to keeping people out of trouble? Is it truly prevention measures? Prevention is nice, um, but it, uh, in my experience, it's, it's just not realistic at times because depending on where you are, your demographics can honestly just, that can, that can make you. Like, do some people get out? Obviously, and kudos to those who do. But in my experience, a majority of people, if you are raised off of, you know, 7th in Minnesota and KCK, and you know Minnesota and Quindaro and Armstrong, and that's who you tend to associate and roam with, we can pretty much predict that you're probably going to end up in a body bag or whatever the case may be because those demographics are pretty much what you know. And when I was working over there, it blew my mind how many kids I had that had not been out of Wyandotte, 
Yes. Like, we're talking about teenagers who hadn't been out of wind up. Johnson County seemed like a foreign country to them. Missouri seemed like an entirely different state. And I took one kid to the plaza, and it was the second time he had been to the plaza in his life. And that was just mind-boggling to me that 15 years old, he's been to the plaza twice in his life. Well, that's crazy to me as somebody who, you know, grew up in South Kansas City, but had a lot of family who lived here would come back and visit. I've been all over this entire city since childhood. You know, I know my way around the Kansas side, Missouri side. It really does seem like one city, you know, the entire metro area. You don't consider Kansas, you know, that other state over there. It's really part of everyday life. I guess I didn't realize the barriers maybe to getting out of your little neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. It's astounding sometimes how little some people just frequent one area and keep themselves in such a little box. And that can be such a challenge when you're trying to get people to reform themselves and of course, go after resources or anything like that when they're just hyper-focused on one little block. Sure. So you said working in KCK kind of pushed you toward working in um, law enforcement. It did. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I worked with a very interesting young man. He was absolutely one of my favorite kids. Um, one particular time, he plotted a homicide right in front of me. And so I worked with him that day for almost eight hours. Um, he was giving me details, how he would do it, how he'd get away with it, all that. So I called my supervisor. I was like, hey, Carolyn, like, you know, he's really going off of it. She's like, do you feel like when you call the police on I was like, no, I think I can talk him down. And so just going through the whole process and all that processing with him, you know, outlining steps. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen if A, B, and C occurs? And just kept drilling that into his brain. So finally, you know, I talked him down. He's like, okay, I'm not going to do anything. Da, da, da. We had no further incident. But I was just thinking like, wow, because one of his best friends was actually caught up in a homicide over on this side that made its way back over to KCK and so when one of his friends you know ended up getting popped and was over at, I can't remember if he's over here in Leavenworth something like that you know he started spiraling a bit and you know having that on top of the homicide planning and everything's like that I was like if if I can at least make some kids contact with law enforcement better then maybe that can help dissuade some things or keep them from staying in the system longer because I started you know talking to a lot of different SROs you know I'd ask them like you know what are your plans with some of these trouble kids that we would have because you know we talk about those kinds of things and this one really good officer his name's Kawaso, really great guy you know he stayed he worked at Schlego and he stayed on my kid all the time I was like hey keep an eye on him because you know he has a lot of great potential we don't want him to backslide because his friends keep doing XYZ and Kawaso too was like trying to recruit me too you know he's like hey man like y'all you're so good with some of the kids like have you ever thought about being a cop and I was like <laughs> no <laughs> like I didn't have good experiences with cops growing up it's like nah you know it's not for me but I don't know I just feel like through a series of positive contacts through social work. I'm like, okay, eh, maybe I guess I could do this and try this. And that's what kind of started leading me to start pursuing that. And do you think um, 
you know, if you had had positive experiences with police as a youth, you know, had a school resource officer who maybe helped you through some things that you would have a different perspective? Honestly, yeah. Um, Not that I had any issues with our SROs, but um, I finished school in Olathe. And so being one black kid, an entire class full of white kids, and then over time, of course, you know, I had one, like my first car was a hand-me-down from my sister. And in one particular instance, I was on my way to um, a party that's kind of on the more east side of Olathe. So I wasn't really familiar with it because I lived on the north side. And so um, just me being stupid, not really knowing my directions, I went down a one-way on accident and I got pulled over by a female officer. She was very aggressive. I had a PlayStation 2 in the back seat that I wanted to get repaired. It, it was a Christmas present. And so, you know, she's like, hey, you know, da da da, you know why I pulled you over? No. She's like, can I search your vehicle? I'm like, sure. Notice the PlayStation. Is it stolen? No. Like, no, it's not. Okay. Well, you know, hey, you know, uh, she calls for an assisting unit. Now, mind you, I was a tiny kid, 16, maybe about 40, 45. And so then, you know, she proceeds to continue on her search, obviously doesn't find anything. It's like, where are you headed? So I gave her the address. She's like, oh, you know, there was just a big fight over there and all this. So, you know, were, were you part of that? It's like, no, as well as I was heading there. I, I would be heading away sure. from there <laughs> if right. I was part of that, like, big dummy. And then her responding officer comes. He was much more relaxed. Uh, he's like, hey, man, you know, come here, you know, just sit here and talk to me. Um, um, she placed me in uh, plastic restraints, and he took them off. He looked there, was like, "What's going on?" She's like, "Oh, well, you know, he drove down the wrong side." He's like, "Okay." He's like, "Hey, bro, like, you okay? You been drinking or anything?" I was like, "No, sir." Da da da. You know, kind of going through that, and so they wrap it up. She gives me a, t- a ticket for fleeing, mind you, right? Yeah. So it's like I had a. 98 Saturn SL2. That's <laughs> that, 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 a, bit of a bit of a piece of shit. Like, what, what's that going to do against chargers that police have? Nothing. And reckless driving, which, okay, that's fair. I did drive down the wrong side of the street. And negligence. Also, I can own those. The fleeing, however, is a misdemeanor. So, my dad got me a lawyer. And our lawyer straight up said, hey, man, it's because you're black. He literally said that. He's like, if you were a white kid, he's like, they probably wouldn't have got half of those charges. I he's, see people drive the wrong way downtown all the time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And Olathe was notorious for targeting black and brown kids. But, you know, it is what it is. And it was experiences like that that obviously helped shape a negative perspective of law enforcement because it's literally profiling and taking it to an extreme that it didn't need to go. So, of course, got the lawyer. He's a good guy. I pled, and then I was given driver's diversion for a year. And so I had to go to defensive driving, all the silver lining was that it made my dad's insurance cheaper. So <laughs> <laughs> so kudos on that one. And that left a sour taste in my mouth. And when I moved to Oklahoma, 
Um, I also had negative police contact down there because I was doing like some door to door sales in addition to the social work that I was doing. Sure. And Oklahoma is, is hotter than Kansas and Missouri. Like, not much, but those summers, they can get a little sweltering. So I had on a full-on suit, and it was black, and I was with my coworker. She was training me in the field, and an OKC officer pulls up. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? And I saw him approaching and knew he was coming for me, so I told Megan, I was like, hey, don't freak out. He's about to stop us because he's looking for me because I'm black. She was like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? I was like, it's because I'm black. And then sure enough, he steps out. He's like, hey, man, you got some ID? I was like, here you go. He's like, oh, you're a Kansas boy. What are you doing down here? Working. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, who's that? It's my coworker. Oh, okay. He's like, hey, ma'am, uh, you know him? She's like, yeah, this is my coworker. She's like, okay. Well, man, you know, uh, I stopped you because you're black and, you know. He yeah. said that? He literally said that. He literally said that. Wow. He said, I stopped you because you're black and I'm looking for a young black man with long hair. I had a short fade uh, that's. Had it on like athletic wear, some other stuff. I like completely didn't match the description of me at all. It was just, he was literally looking for a random black male in a predominantly white area. And the black male suspect he was looking for had like assaulted some people or something like that. And so, and especially now with the law enforcement knowledge that I have. I wouldn't look for a suspect that, of course, first doesn't match the suspect I'm looking for physically. And then if we're looking at clothing. Walking around in broad daylight daylight in a suit. suit. (laughs) Like, and I'm walking with someone when your suspect was alone and fled. That to me, that doesn't make sense. So the contact shouldn't have happened in the first place. So. And then, of course, you know, once we wrap it all up, again, he states, like, you know, hey, man, like, obviously you're not the kid I'm looking for, but it's because you're black. So, you know, take care. Wow. Yeah. Saying the quiet part out loud. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it just it just blew my mind. And Megan was a little freaked out. Like, like I can't believe he did that. Like, that's messed up. I was like... Like when you're when you're black and you're brown, you're used to these kinds of things, and that's another thing that left a sour taste in my mouth with law enforcement policing. Like even though my uncle was a cop and he came out of KCPD, out of actually out of East Patrol, he's an asshole, but I love him. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he was one of the few, and of course, growing up with him, like you know, we'd always just laugh and all that. He wasn't in cop mode twenty four seven. You know, some some guys that you know. Exactly, you know what I'm talking about. Right. He wasn't like that. And to this day, he's still really not like that. But for those ones who are, it can certainly be abrasive and push people away for obvious reasons. And so then, of course, with black and brown kids, you already have this bias towards us in the first place and then enacting that and just making such blatant statements, things like that. It's going to sour pretty much anybody, you know. So over time, though, I just thought to myself, okay, if I can have better interactions with kids and make their police contacts much better, 
and improve those relations, then I want to be that guy. I want to be that officer is like, hey, what's going on, kid? And eliminate my own bias to the best of my ability and try to make these contacts positive. Because though we can't, is prevention wonderful? And is it the highest, is, is that what we're touting a lot of lately? For sure. But we should be working, in my opinion, on more so rehabilitation. Kids are going to have police contacts. If, if you live off the Ave, if you live off Spruce or Olive, we're pretty much over here in the East. Chances are you're going to run into some of our officers. And we hope that those contacts are going to be good contacts when you do run into one of our guys. So kind of that attitude of you want to be part of that change, part of that, you know, changing perspective you did attend the police academy right in kansas city tell me a little bit about that so i was in there initially i had to medically withdraw uh just to, due to some own personal medical issues i'll of course go back in but um that's what drove me in there and going in there was interesting to you know see things from a more law oriented side of things and really Policing is 90% of social aspects. Like every day, most of our calls are not people, you know, shooting each other and drug dealers just running by in the houses and things like that. It's moms who want to get away from their baby daddies or homeless people or people who are freezing. There's That's uh, the bulk of what policing really is. And that's in a lot of aspects that a lot of people don't see. And going into the academy and getting that f- kind of view into things and then coming out and now looking on f- from both lenses, I think it helps give me a different perspective than a lot of others who really haven't had that same experience. And also, too, I have my degree in criminal justice and I'm getting my master's in clinical psych. And so I feel like a combination of those two also help me give a different perspective when I'm interacting with people and when I'm looking at things from a law enforcement perspective and from a social perspective. I feel like one of the big problems that Kansas City has been experiencing, especially in the past couple years, is a disconnect between police and residents because they can't see the reason behind the way things are done. You know, police have reasons for doing things. Residents who feel like they're in a tough spot have reasons for doing things. How does somebody in your position kind of help mesh those together and help people understand each other? And so I, a big thing of what I like to do with my community interaction officers is go out and just make contact with people. When we're visible and we're showing people that we can assist them in a myriad of ways, I think that that's what starts to help bridge that gap. You know, a lot of people complain that police overly police certain areas. Well, we do that because people want us to do that. If you know that a lot of drug dealers sit around certain areas and you don't want that on your streets, what are you going to do? You're going to put in a call for service because you want your safe your area to be safer. But people who are in those areas look at that from an outside perspective and say, oh, they're only just policing, you know, black and brown areas because they're racist. 
taking it from a black man, to me, if you actually sat down with these residents and asked them what they want, they want even more police because it makes them feel safer. But it's easier to say that KCPD or certain officers are racist when you live in Brookside or when you live in Waldo or you live off Ward Parkway when you don't have to worry about stray bullets coming through your windows when you go to sleep. It's, it's a lot easier to say those kinds of things. And that's not the reality. If those people would actually attend some of these neighborhood association meetings and meet with some of these residents, they would be astounded by how many request more police presence, you know, um, how some people actually, you know, camp out at our stations sometimes, just a whole gamut of things because they, they want their areas to be safer. And when they can't make those things happen, they try to flee. So a lot of us, you know, that's kind of what our team is working towards is bridging those community gaps, especially around here. Um, it's been tough. And that's kind of what one of my goals while I'm in this position is to at least, you know, establish a nice little foothold here where there is a stronger bridge between us and the community, especially for ESO. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shamika's Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shamikasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shamika's, where customers become friends and friends become family. From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974, Armour Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. What are some ways that, you know, you're going to work on making that happen? You know, obviously you probably as one person can't control response times or a whole myriad of other things, but what are some ways you're going to work toward that? So I have been striking up partnerships pretty much anywhere I can. Uh, my major is awesome. Major Thompson, she is like Mother Teresa, wants to save the whole world. And we keep telling her that, you know, just, just, let's, just, 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 yeah, let's, just, just let's stick with here for now. And so on Tuesdays, we have a special resource meeting wherein we bring in, you know, some community partner, whether it's like Research or Truman or now the family courts, so on and so forth. And we say, hey, how can we all work in conjunction with one another and tackle a lot of these problems that are happening here? And over time, the goal is to set a model that our other divisions can use and then possibly share that model with St. Louis or Springfield or KCK, Chicago, so forth, any other major department, because there is such a large need for, you know, special victim services and food, clothing, shelters, yada, yada. And how can we address those gaps? And so that's what we're really working towards. And so with some of the young men that I've been encountering, I just hear about all these different programs all the time. And that's the the beauty of having these conversations because I feel like every day I'm hearing about 
some new resource that's popping up. People are like, oh my God, oh, you need this for some kids? Oh, I got that. And all that good stuff. And so, you know, we keep making these things happen and we keep it open to any community part. Sorry, I can't talk. Any community partners that want to come and attend. And so anytime I make a conversation with someone, I always extend it offer. And a cool program that I found out about is the Emerging Adult Justice Program, which is actually through Jackson County's family court system. They have a huge grant fund where they prepare kids for, you know, college or Votech, independent living, so on and so forth. And two young men that I've recently come across, I've referred both of them to that program. And so, you know, in a big wide world, would I be able to save everyone? No. But if I can at least have two kids who are moving through the system and using it to their advantage versus a disadvantage, then I'll take that as a win. Yeah. Setting them up for success so they Absolutely. don't stumble as easily, at least. Um, I think that's really interesting having just bringing those different community partners together to share the resources, because I feel like so many people try and replicate things or, you know, are struggling with a project that somebody else can help with or maybe do better. Would you like to see more police officers have social service training? Absolutely. And honestly, what a lot of people don't understand about going through the selection process is that, I mean, it's not easy to become a police officer. Like, you know, people see some of these shootings and some of these interactions that, uh, you know, the media captures and all that. Are they terrible? Absolutely. Um, but there's just a certain there's just some things you just can't screen for no matter how much you try and when you actually get in the academy like they teach you crisis intervention training and tactical communication which is basically don't talk to people like they're idiots like there's those skills are taught now or do some people utilize them? No. You know, some people just have things that are just intrinsic to their personality where they choose not to utilize those skills and they don't care. And you will never be able to help that. Or they feel scared or threatened like that female officer you encountered in high school for whatever reason. She, Who knows why she felt the need to call for backup. But, Absolutely. you know, situations like that. How can we better prepare officers to not do stuff like that? Oh, we can't. Like, they're in our academy, it's seven months. And of course, you know, people can argue, like, oh, how can you learn how to be a police officer in six, seven months? Well, because after you graduate from the academy, you go through a probationary period where you are being trained by a field officer who has experience. And then you have basically another year to show that you don't suck. So really, you're talking about <laughs> you're really talking about two years early on where you're learning how to be a proper police officer. Now, can you argue that we should have more time in that? Sure. That's where, you know, education and different things like that are coming in. And I fully support departments requiring at least an associate's or a bachelor's for police officers because it's the same thing with nursing. Like, do you want a nurse that basically doesn't know how to do an IV draw or give you fluid? No, obviously not. So I think it's along the same lines. But there are just some things you just can't train a person to do. You can try to make a person be able to talk like you and I but some people just aren't that way some people are more socially engineered to 
be more compassionate and caring towards others, and some aren't. Some are attracted to the job because it's action-packed and you can do a lot of cool stuff, and that'll always be a selling point for them, and those are the only aspects of the job that they'll focus on. You will never be able to get rid of those people, and in some aspects, you do need those people because when you're actually going for the big bad guys, you want the ones who can kick those doors in and take them down. So you need both. But I think you should have more socially oriented officers versus militaristic officers. Because like you said, most of the job is public facing, interacting with the public, building those relationships. Um, And also, we were talking about this earlier just within my office. The stuff officers do day to day, that's pretty normal to them. But most of the people they're encountering, it's probably the worst day of their life. You know, they've just been robbed or victimized in some other way. Do you think compassion is really the key to making those connections and building strong relationships? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I like how back in the day when my uncle Windows was on, he, you know, went out and pretty much just introduced himself to everybody. And I know a few officers who do that as well, where it's like, hey, you know, I'm Officer Wilson, you know, this is my beat, get to know me, if you need my help, here you go. This is my desk number. You always be able to reach me. I think that is something that is missing in a lot of departments. And of course, just everyone's not surprised that, you know, th- there's, no, there's a shortage of manpower pretty much nationwide. Like recruitment numbers are down across the nation, so on and so forth. So it's just increasingly harder to even attract people to the profession in the first place. And then, of course, you want to attract the right people, but people who are typically very compassionate and open and warm to different things like that go into healthcare. And so... It's doubly difficult to make those kinds of things happen. But working with the people that we do, I definitely believe, like you said, when you are acting and interacting with the public, you have to be able to wear multiple hats. And the police, unfortunately, are forced to wear multiple hats. And so, you know, you just kind of roll with the punches. And part of wearing one of those hats is, you know, playing Mr. Nice and saying, hey, Now, I know that this is a terrible moment for you right now. We are desensitized to it because we deal with it pretty much every day. But you still have to treat that interaction like it's golden. And that's something else that we're taught in the academy as well. You know, each call is special. Each one is unique. Treat it as such. It's hard to do sometimes, though, because naturally, as humans, we're creatures of habit. You develop your own habits, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And that can obviously interfere with having those good connections. But I like to believe, for the most part, my officers do make an earnest effort to treat each call as it is and address the need as it is. Speaking of, you know, those recruitment efforts, um, And as you've gotten used to Kansas City's Northeast and East Sides, how do we build a department that is reflective of the neighborhoods they're policing? You know, not just race, but socioeconomic status, all these things. Like, how can you relate to somebody who you have nothing in common with? You know, if you're coming from the suburbs to police Northeast, obviously you're going to be a little defensive. Well, that's tough. Uh, 
to me. A lot of black and brown kids don't have positive interactions with officers. So why would they want to become the thing that they hate? You know, it's very few people that have a journey that's similar to mine. They might have had a similar experience to mine with negative police contacts, but having a shift in mindset over time doesn't occur with a lot of people. And that's always going to be a constant struggle for any major department because, you know, um, and it's no fault to any of these departments, of course. Like if you have some guy coming from OP and wants to come over here and try to make a difference, can he relate to, you know, some of these kids who are on Section 8 and have to get donations for food and all that? Probably not. You know, and is that his fault? No. And is it the kid's fault? No. He's making an earnest effort. He's just trying to do what he can. And departments, too, of course, are doing the same thing. You know, there's all sorts of, you know, hot topic buzzwords. We're we're diverse. We're inclusive. All that. Okay, that's great. And the kids who are smart enough to, you know, make something of themselves, so to speak, typically don't want to go into law enforcement (laughs) because once again those traumatic experiences as a kid they leave an imprint on your brain and when you think about all those times that you've encountered the police and they were all negative you don't want to go into that so that's always going to be a major struggle and that's why you know i think people are quick to declare a department as racist or appearing so when it's not the case. It's just that you literally can't attract the demographics that you want because they don't like you. <laughs> they don't want to be around you. And of course, money matters as well. When you look at a lot of smaller departments, the pay is terrible. So why are you going to put your life on the line for $17 an hour? And you live in, I don't know, Smithville or Harrisonville or something like that. What's attractive about that? Nothing. You get to wear a badge. You get to wear a shield. Okay, that's cool. But if you can make, if you're smart enough to go to college and you can get a good degree and we'll say something as basic as business, you can pretty much apply that to anything and make way more than 17 an hour. Why would you want to go be a police officer on top of the low pay and on top of being a minority representative? Not a very big incentive. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk nationwide about social workers replacing some of the duties that have fallen to police, Uh, you know, responding in those situations that maybe aren't life threatening, maybe aren't crimes. But Kansas City has had social service specialists for years. And when Chief Rick Smith started his new position, you know, one of his main goals was install social workers at each patrol division. I think Mm -hmm. East Patrol was the first originally. I'm kind of new back to Kansas City, so I'm still catching up. But how does a program and focus like this set Kansas City apart? Uh, I was actually just talking with a woman from OP about this yesterday. I know that OP has a detachment of social workers, but they are not co-responders. I believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, that when they get a call related to a social issue, that's when they contact their social workers. Whereas with us, we are actually embedded in, we go on ride-alongs, we do address a crisis in the field and so forth. So we try to fill in those gaps because, you know, let's say mom finally gets tired of boyfriend beating her up. She wants to leave with her kids. Okay. We're taking that report and we're going to try to prosecute him. 
that's what the officers are doing. What is mom doing while she's waiting for him to be arraigned? He's being detained, all that good stuff. There's a lot of time that passes during that. And if he was the breadwinner, what's happening? Income is stalled now. The kids still have to eat. She still has to eat. Utilities are still going. What's happening? Oftentimes, you know, that can be devastation because, yeah, you stayed with them because you had no choice. That was literally your lifeline, you know. And so we try to seek to cover those gaps. And those are, you know, very common. When someone gets shot, they're going to the hospital. Medical staff is going to take care of them, all that. Now what? It was a traumatic event for most people. And do you feel safe in your apartment now because your shooter is out there? Sure. What are you going to do? You need to relocate. So you're going to have to turn off all your utilities. You might have to start, you know, changing your appearance, so on and so forth. Who's helping out with that? So we seek to address those gaps and hopefully create a model that other departments will be able to use. Because to my knowledge, I really can't think of any other major departments around that have embedded social services in there and actually send them out as co-responders as well. And oftentimes when I'm out in the field, we'll have calls that are that are EDP in nature, emotionally disturbed parties, and they'll call whatever car I'm riding with. Hey, do you have a social worker? Yep. Okay. Well, you guys dispatch to blah, blah, blah address. And then we'll go out and ride to that. So, you know, we definitely make a large effort to cover those things and service a lot of the emotional and social needs that a lot of our citizens have and need assistance with. I'm sure that makes a lot of difference being there in the moment rather than after the fact. Oh, absolutely. And that's why it gives me, you know, when you asked about my police experience before, that's why I get an interesting perspective on things because while I'm riding along, I'm also getting police experience because I'm there when you make the arrest and when you're booking somebody, when you're writing the report, but also at the same time, I'm taking one less thing off your plate because when you arrest, you know, baby daddy like before, I'm helping mom figure out her next steps. What's that going to be? out of that cycle, kind of. Exactly. Obviously, like you were saying, a lot of emotionally disturbed parties, how does how does the department and specifically social workers handle, you know, mental illness and some of those other things, you know, addiction and things like that when they encounter them? So the chief is very adamant about getting a lot of us CIT trained, crisis intervention training, and having us go through the process. And I want to say at least 60% of personnel, something around those lines, are uh, CIT trained. And so people can request officers who are trained in that regard to come out. And then, of course, I have the training as well. So I will go out to those. And we have various partnerships with Truman Research, you know, Swope, so on and so forth. So we will make contact and then we'll do what's called a CIT report. So we'll write a report basically detailing, you know, this person obviously has an altered mental state, whether it's through substance use or just mental illness, and then we compile those. And then we share those with our medical partners and say, hey, this is a person that we want to keep an eye on because we have frequent calls of service or we're just worried that 
something could spiral out and occur. And so then we'll get them connected with their community behavioral health liaisons who will then, you know, get them into services and keep an eye on them. So that's how we've been kind of addressing those needs and gaps. And we found that to be quite successful with a lot of our high profile EDPs is getting them, you know, connected with those things and reducing those calls. And we've seen pretty good success by having those partnerships. Sure. I'm sure those factors make a huge difference in the way you interact with people. You know, maybe not maybe that logic not being there, the common sense not being there, some of those barriers to communication. Is there anything else you want to share about the position? I know you're still fairly new to it. Obviously, we'll be happy to check in in a few months, you know, get some updates, but... Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, we are actively hiring for more. Um, We are looking for, I believe, three more to fill in if anyone else wants to apply. And then, of course, the department is looking for more officers if anyone is interested in coming in on the law enforcement aspect of it. Um, We pretty much, you know, have something for everybody. Um, The kind of our team goals, because there's three of us now, and myself and the other ladies, the way we want to try to grow it is by having a more kind of streamlined process. So, you know, the training when someone new comes in, because this is this type of social work is different than pretty much anything else you'll encounter because since we're so actively involved in the field with the officers you're basically getting police secondhand police experience versus being in a controlled environment like a mental health center or rehab center different things like that this is way different and so we want to come up with training that's going to help people acclimate to a more law enforcement intensive type of social work like this is versus a structured environment like in other ways. So we're working on figuring out those kinds of things. And then of course, each of the ladies also have their own partnerships with their uh, community I wouldn't say hospitals, but their own community partnerships for their respective divisions and being able to also to, to bridge all that as well so that Whenever at any given moment, you know, if we all need to, and we do, we assist each other in our different zones as well. And so if we do go to each other for an assist, it's like, oh, okay, hey, I'm coming over to South Patrol now. All right, what's going on? Uh, we're dealing with some addicts, da 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 Okay, so who do you, who's your go-to to make that you make a contact with when this is going on? Oh, I go to this person. Okay, let's get them plugged in there. So it's building it up like this because we're not going anywhere. Like rumors swirl and things like that are abound. We're not going anywhere. Like Chief has made it clear. This is a role that he wants to grow and be established and embedded because it's it's necessary. And I think over time, more departments are going to adopt a similar model simply because of seeing all of the negative interactions that we constantly see and it's 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 necessary and so we're just trying to find the the way to shape it so that it is a suitable model for others to emulate sure and so you said there's three social workers in kansas city police department right now what zones are they in so brooke is in center zone she's moving up to north because we have a new prospect who is going through her final stages and then she'll officially start with us i think in a couple weeks and then she will move into center zone while brooke goes up north and covers north 
north in Shoal Creek. And then Tamara, she covers South and Metro at the moment. So, you know, hopefully once we get some more recruits in, you know, she'll have less on her plate. But I also assist, you know, center zone if necessary or bounce back up north as well. Sure, because people don't stick to these borders, these neighborhoods as much as sometimes we would think they do. Not at all, yes. Needs are everywhere. Of course, the need varies from zone to zone. But, you know, that's why we're still there to give each other the assist if necessary. Sure. We really appreciate you coming in today, sharing your experience with us, and we look forward to seeing you out in the community. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to the Northeast Newscast. For all our episodes, articles, and more, visit northeastnews.net. As we continue our 90-year tradition of delivering free newspapers to Northeast residents, now you can help the Northeast News continue to produce community journalism directly by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash northeastnewskc. In exchange, we hope to offer our Patreon subscribers access to exclusive content. 